0: hello, welcome again to the podcast, Success, Secrets, and Stories. I'm your host and author, John Monolowski, author of Building Your Leadership Toolbox. I'm here with my friend, Greg Powell. Greg? Hey, everybody. Hey. And uh, we're here today to talk about self-awareness. And I I always find this, you know, the name of my book originally was Self-Awareness and Leadership. And, and I, I thought it was kind of funny because people are probably, you know, having the same comments that I had when I gave that title of like, you're going to call it what? (laughs) Um, but it's, it's actually, um, kind of straightforward. And, and normally I talk about the psychologists that are involved in leadership and some of their tools that they've given us. Uh, today I'm going to change it up a little bit and I am going to talk about a uh, physicist because there's nothing that makes life any more complicated than putting a physicist to talk about psychology. And uh, it was Richard Freeman and he's a Nobel prize winning uh, physicist that worked on quantum physics and particle physics. (laughs) And no, I didn't take any of those courses, but I did go through the dorm rooms and I loved his poster and his poster is the first principle is that you must not fool yourself, and you are the easiest person to fool. Self awareness one hundred and one. And what I what I really like about that is, it it doesn't matter in what context that you're you're talking about. If you're lying to yourself, you, you're you're going to know whether you're going to admit it to yourself or not that you're lying and and that element of taking responsibility for whatever it is that you're doing uh in his case he had enough math theorems that he had confidence that he was doing it right but there was that that voice in the back of his head saying are you sure did you is this is this your formula is this somebody else's formula did, did, did you do the the background all those things that I'm assuming he was doing as as a, a mathematician they're always, I think also engineering would do the same thing. They want to make sure that the facts are facts and they understand the root cause of whatever it is that they're working with. And they sometimes get lost in the details, but you still need to do that. That, that part of problem solving and being truthful is, I think where I wanted to start with, with some of the things that Dr. Durst Durst talked about and he kind of helps start the conversation saying that life is a series of problem-solving exercises. And the line that I liked is, I'm going to jump to the bottom of the sheet just for laughs. The only people without problems are six feet under. So everybody has problems. How you manage through those problems is the, the strength of what you have learned over time and how you apply it and one of the things that he talks about is knowing when you're dealing with triggers so for me uh, a trigger is when somebody shouts at me and i i start to get to the point where i really am not very rational i have to i have to step back i've learned how to deal with that so one of the tricks that i've done is i'll take a 5 minute walk before i continue the conversation to give Time for that event to go through its paces allows me to get the adrenaline out of my system. I have a much better conversation after that. There's times where you can't walk away, and that that's going to happen. So you have to understand if you had the adrenaline firing up because you're being shot at and that's a a fight or flight kind of response, watch your words. And I will intentionally talk slower in order to keep my pace and And make sure that my head's in the game so that i'm I'm trying to challenge myself on on how I'm communicating um, and understanding patterns I think that's that's the other thing that Dr. Durst was talking about and and like i'm I'm talking about a trigger, having it your way, making sure that you're gonna win the conversation nobody nobody's giving points if you're arguing with someone. <laughs> That there's nobody keeping a scorecard, but sometimes you have to be right. I, I blame, uh, debate class for this whole effect of being right. And debate class for me, I think is one of the most counterproductive things you can do for communication. If you are a debate class winner, which I was, I had, I had people telling me that I could be a pretty good lawyer if I wanted to argue Mm -hmm. a point point. Because in debate class, I could take either side and actually be successful to win the argument. I, I have decided that that is not really a talent that I'd like to expand on. Um, so who gets to be right isn't really a wise way of problem solving. It's what is the right thing to do is the problem solving key. And it's human nature to, to go down that road of I want to be right. I uh, I think the other component is to tell the truth when you lie to yourself and I've mentioned it already, but lying to yourself is one of those like internal jokes that if you don't get it and you're not laughing, then you're probably in way too deep, but you shouldn't be lying to yourself. Like I'm, I don't think, you know, I can handle that extra 10 pounds. I think I'm fine. And as you're saying it out loud, you, you know for a fact that you need to lose 10 pounds. That's, that's, you're just kidding yourself. yourself. Yeah. Hey, you're just kidding yourself. I think the most important component that Dr. Durst talked about in terms of life and problem solving is kiss a goodbye. Very simple. It's something in your past that is that dramatic and that caustic in terms of your, your life you have to kiss it goodbye. It's a memory. As long as you breathe life into that memory, it's alive. And in, until you actually stop reliving that past event, it's going to haunt you. And that that's something that Dr. Durst made some wonderful examples of how that has haunted other people. He had this really humorous uh, example of Uh, People with the who would keep on like punching in that same song that would make them sad. Like it's a fine time to leave me, Lucille, (laughs) a great country western song. But yeah, divorce is never something that you want to relive every day of your life. It happens. That's that's part of life, Uh, and it goes in its place. But it's not to be reoccurring every day. It's it it just pulls you out of the reality that you're living. It's a past event, and until you come to grips with the past. And mostly his his bottom line is just kiss it goodbye. That's that's the essence of it. Now, when I I think of an example of someone having an issue with kissing it goodbye, um, I had an employee that was a painter, very good painter, um, but only wanted to do the 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 basic requirements, really didn't want to take on a leadership role, and they they put him in a leadership role. And as it was, he was doing a pretty bad job, and he had an apprentice that was actually failing, and it was because of his leadership. So I had brought him in for a discussion about performance and performance review. And normally, when people go through a performance review, you get their attention, right, Greg? Yes, you do, undivided attention. Yeah, How was I wasn't rated. Know. It's 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 a three step before you're gone kind of environment. You don't you don't want to start that unless, you know. There, there's something that is wrong that needs to be corrected. So I finished the whole the whole discussion. I did as much as I could to make it a compelling discussion. And the painter was just disinterested. There was there was no eye contact and no real response. I finally, you know, bent down a little bit and looked him in the eye and said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the, the question like rattled him. It's like, what? What do you want to be when you grow up? So I want to be a farmer. Okay. Seriously? He said, no, seriously. I've taken classes in college. Some of my best memories growing up was on a farm. My family and I enjoy it so much that we've actually done vacations on the farm. I said, well, why aren't you a farmer? He says, well, no one's ever supported me in the farming. I have to transition between the jobs. And there's a question mark in terms of healthcare. There's a question mark in terms of salary. And I can't step over that salaried gap to make a career change. I said, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. That's my job. If that's where you want to be, how do we formulate how do I, how do I help you become a farmer I, I wish I wish I could give you a visual, and what happened to his face when I said this it's like, <laughs> what you you want to help me leave the company? Yes, I do. But I want to do it the right way. And I want to make sure that you do a transition so that one, your family is happy with the way that you're approaching it and you have some confidence that you can do it financially. And second of all, probably the most important part is you need to help me replace you on the job as a leader. Who else can we bring in? How can you develop them? I need you to write you know, whatever details that are associated with the job so that your replacement is prepared. And we don't have a two-week requirement or a four-week requirement, whatever time that you need to make that transition. But I'm giving you time to interview. I tell you that now. And and just as I was walking him through the things that you do to help people transition, I know I was talking to somebody who was very appreciative, but never heard anything like that before.
1: Well, so John, the kind of work you did there, we used to call it helping somebody reinvent themselves.
0: Yes. Right? What are they better suited to do? What were their aspirations really? Their their passion. And and that's that phrasing I didn't have before. That's that's exactly what it felt like. That that was it. And so Dr. Durst had this, this concept of trying to get people to understand that element, that that element of truth. Just tell the truth. Um, increasing your awareness helps you be able to understand what it is that's important and, and how you make those changes. Uh, the awareness gives you a choice. It doesn't give you an answer. It gives you a choice. You have to put the work behind it. But if you are self-aware and you know where you're going with your career, and I always had the uh, the approach of putting together a plan, and that's something I'd like Greg to talk about, but the, the idea of having uh, input and having ideas of career and Instead of the boss having a performance review, you're supposed to have a career review. Those were words that I had changed in the last two or three organizations I worked with because they're missing the point. Performance is negative. Career is positive. How do we how do we get the person to be where they want to be and challenging them? Um, but Greg, your background is, I think, very appropriate to this thought. Why, why don't you take the ball? All right. Thanks,
1: John. It's interesting when I think about what I call reinventing oneself, um, trying to come up with something better to do with my career in the future. I've been involved in a lot of layoffs, laying people off. and oh, I that's remember, fun. Yeah. Always, always a lot of fun. And the company's not performing where it needs to perform. So one of the first things they look at is reducing staff. Uh, at a company some years ago, uh, there was a gentleman that was in our finance department. It was corporate function. Corporate functions were being reduced. Uh, we had outplacement benefits. And I remember talking to this individual. He said, what, what are you really going to do? you Are going to get another finance job? You know, we can help you with that. He said, I don't really think I want to do that. And so he went to outplacement services anyway, because he needed to make sure he was finding a way to earn a living, had a family, et cetera. Uh, but he really dug deep and said, you know, after some assessments and talking to folks, he goes, I want to be a chef. I want to be a chef. And said, well, good for you. And so he, he took the severance money, took some of it, and went to a culinary school. Wow. And did very well in school. And to, I think to this day, he still is a chef of some sort. And he would have never, ever thought about that until his job was in jeopardy, not because of what he was a poor performer, but the state, just the nature of how business runs. But he was willing to take that leap and dig deep and say, what do I really want to do? What am I really good at that would make me happy and offer some contribution to the greater good? Um, so I always think about that for folks that are looking for the perfect job. Because yeah. people come to me a lot of times and say, Greg, help me write this job description. I got a perfect job for me, right? (laughs) I said, well, you know, we kind of have to have something that the company needs and it's got to make some sense. It's got to line up, whatever. And so one of the things that we talk to people about the perfect job is what are their skill sets? What are they really good at? Do they know themselves? Are they being critical of what they're really good at, uh, what they could be better at, or are they willing to maybe cut through the gap of things they're not as good at to get where they want to be? Um, what are their tolerances? You know, they like people that like to work closely together. They work, like to work by themselves. Since COVID, some people like to work remotely yeah. more than they like working in the, inside the office. So those kind of things are important to, to folks. Some people want jobs that really leverage their strengths. Uh, and, and others want jobs that provide a lot of challenge. They get easily bored. And they, they need to have something to keep them on the top of their game. I used to say, don't always look for the perfect job, but are you perfectly suited for the ideal job? You know, and really question yourself on what your capabilities are and the things you need to do better. So, John, I'm going to take you on a trip down memory lane in mm-hmm. 1970. Oh. And there was a book written called What Color Is Your
0: Parachute? Yeah. By Richard Bowles and Catherine Brooks. Remember that? Yeah, 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 definitely. I know that, that was my high school counselor's recommendation for a book. Okay, there you go. Yeah, and so
1: yeah. And some of the, the principles still hold up today. And This is a situation, that a nice diagram. Imagine a, like a, a flower and there's petals in the flower. Uh, working conditions are one petal. The kind of people you work with is another. Transferable skills is another. Uh, knowledge and even things like salary. Uh, and that's what that tool was used for to help somebody figure out what their ideal job is, what are the components of that, and target those kinds of jobs that offer those types of uh, scenarios. But the ones I think that get me thinking that were really helpful are what I call the circles. Um, there's a couple of models. One's a three-circle model. One's a four-circle model. A three-circle model, uh, Tamana Rather from Eat My News came up with. It was really interesting. So imagine you've got these three circles. The top circle, is it's about your personality. It's a fit, right? It fits your personality. The bottom left is something that you're good at. I'm really good at this. I'm naturally good at this. I've got attributes that I will be successful here. And then the other uh, circle is I get paid for it. And so that's a very simple model looking for the dream job, but it is fraught with some concerns because you could be a hobbyist. You could be having some illusions. Um, It might be a mistake because your sweet spot is where those circles all connect in the middle. And when you look at those types of criteria, you might be fooling yourself uh, as far as what uh, will be the best job to suit you. Think about another model, somewhat similar, where there was three before. Now we're talking about four circles. The very top circle is values, Now I know what I'm hearing from Gen X and Millennials, et cetera. Now they value a lot of what does their company do? Uh, what do they do in the communities, et cetera? Are they green, John? You know about that kind of thing,
0: right? But you know the four circles: one's, one's interests, skills, possibilities, and values. And and the and the part that they usually get is the skills and the interests and the possibilities, but the values. When you have a disconnect on values, I've left two jobs because of values and ethics, and it's not easy. You, you no. don't like you don't like you know changing careers because of ethical issues, but that piece is also a fit of a perfect job. And if you're not you're dealing with an organization that's hitting the dollar amount and maybe at a career title, but they're ethically broken. It's, it's not worth it. It's just the perfect, whether it's a perfect job or whether you're basically in conflict with yourself, that's that self-awareness piece. I found the value piece is the the interesting circle that should be included.
1: And I would say, John, lead, you should lead with the values piece because you're still looking for that sweet yeah. spot in the middle of these different categories all combined. But without values, I would say that's a highly weighted um, circle in, in a diagram. Yep. And so let's say you use some of these tools, whether it's what colors my parachute, you do uh, different indexes, you've talked to different counselors, you've read up different books, there's enough books and things out there. Or you work with your boss as you did with your, uh, your employee, your manager, maybe a mentor or whatever, and you're feeling pretty good about all this information you have and these ideas you have. But guess what? At the end of the day, It's not the index. It's not the assessment. It's not the people that you work with. It is you. You are ultimately responsible. You've got to put the work in. You've got to be able to take reasonable risk. You've got to, again, put in all the effort to get your uh, ideal job because it really is about you and you being responsible. You can't blame someone else if you get the wrong job. It doesn't fit. What could you have done better? Where, Where did you miss the mark? But recognizing that for that perfect job, whatever it might be, be critical of yourself and own
0: it right i i've heard people say you know i've put in 10 years and i and then i expected to spend three or five years to be prepared but i've been prepared for my promotion for the last five uh you were supposed to get your next promotion not your boss right (laughs) and and maybe it's not the organization that you're currently in but if you're capable and you're promotable and you don't act on it it's not your boss's fault.
1: Right. It's there's your a word fault. We,
0: John, there's a word we use in HR
1: circles called entitlement. Yeah. Uh, right. And you really aren't entitled uh, no. to, to, you know, you have to earn what you get. Um, and I we appreciate your loyalty. Thanks for staying 20 years uh, and giving us a good effort. But there are other things we look for before sometimes promoting people, moving people, whatever. Just because you've been there a long time, you showed up every day. Thank you.
0: Yeah. But that does not entitle you to a well-written career. And, and the other one that is kind of tragic is whenever executive management advances or leaves, and they had made those promises to advance people and you know people are are thinking that there's some kind of commitment or or some kind of plan and to be perfectly honest while that person was there, probably possibly, <laughs> but when they leave, so do the promises it's it's well, that's off. It's your career, not their career. It's your career. So, you know, that whole idea of you have to own it is, is key. So I think we covered quite a bit of what we're going to be covering today. Um, hopefully, you, there's some pearls of wisdom that we've shared. Greg, what are we going to be talking about next podcast? So I've got a
1: quote for you, John, and for you listening to the podcast. Life is in the
0: windshield. Not in the rearview mirror. There you go. The little, little Ooh. teaser there. Little yeah, teaser. teaser. Very deep. <laughs> so um, it's this part. So I, I, the little personal part that I like is the commercial part. <laughs> My book is available on Amazon.com and Lulu.com. My ebook is available on Barnes and Noble. The podcast is what you're listening to. Thank you very much. Tell others, please. Dr. Durst's MBR program is available on successgrowthacademy.com. The music is brought to you by my grandson. Greg, it's been fun.
1: Thanks, John. As always. Next time.